0: visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive
1: in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change and shift your business paradigm. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lin for insights on emerging trends that could impact the future of your business. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the innovative business leaders of today. Now, here's your host, Nancy Lin.
2: Hello and welcome to the Business Reinvention Show where we share thought provoking ideas from different industries so that you can connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, to spur innovation, we have to look at human capital investment, and with rising demand for skilled workers, there is a sense of urgency to find ways to improve the quality of U.S. education, and this year, we ranked 28th place in math and science compared to other countries, and yet, we spend more money on education than most countries except Austria, Luxembourg, Norway, and Switzerland. So, How should we spend our education funding differently? Is it possible to get our kids excited about math and science? Well, we're going to get some fresh perspective today. Mohamed Chaudhry serves as president and CEO for the Silicon Valley Education Foundation. Their organization helps drive academic achievement in math and science in the Silicon Valley, and he's here with us today to talk about their innovative solutions. Hi, Mohamed. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Wow. Well, I definitely wanted to hear more about um, some of the good work that you have done uh, through the foundation. Uh, But first, help us understand the reasons um, that we continue to underperform other developed countries in K-12 math and science. What is going on?
3: We have traditionally performed not so well versus other countries, and it's not that we're doing worse. We were doing well and we plateaued. And other countries passed us by, and I think they passed us by for various reasons, including having more toughest, tougher and more rigorous standards um, in the past. Now, with the, with the uh, coming of the new, st- new state standards around the country uh, and the Common Core standards, those standards, I, we believe, are a lot more rigorous, and they will put us in an interesting position to be able to compete uh, more rigorously against um, a lot of these other countries.
2: But what is Common Core? Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Common Core are a new set of state standards that were adopted by the National Governor Association, various states around the country, over 40 states around the country. And what they've done is they've gone narrower and deeper uh, standards, and they're standards that better compete against the rest of the world. And they ask for a more rigorous look um, in the areas of math and English and language arts. So English and math are the two focus areas for it, but they go a lot deeper. They, they've gotten rid of things like multiple choice. They've gotten rid of things like, like going an inch deep at a mile wide. They go a lot deeper. They're asking students to think harder. They're asking them to explain their answers, describe what they're doing, and getting away from multiple choice. What that will do as those standards are adopted across states around the country, it will, it will raise the bar, it will. It, the test scores will be very different now than they were in the past because we'll have a much higher college-ready standard. Whereas before, every state had a different standard, and it was we didn't know what proficiency met in the past. Now, if a student is proficient, it would mean that they're ready for college. So, in fifth grade, if you're proficient, that means you're on track for being ready for college-level uh, work. So now that we have these more rigorous standards, which are aligned year over year, and we're measuring for college readiness, which are deeper and stronger, we will actually be able to better uh, see, see what, how our students are doing against the rest of the world. And more importantly, as we adap- adapt to these standards over the years, we will see more and more students learning um, to compete and, and, and increase their proficiency.
2: Wow, that's great. It's really exciting to hear about the new development. Um, Well, your program focuses on schools in the Silicon Valley, and it may sound a little counterintuitive to some people given the highly educated workforce here. Um, So what's the thinking behind that?
3: But the thinking of, uh, behind having, having college and career-ready standards is that, you know, all students are different. We have, we have different levels of students in every grade, every community, and we have diversity uh, in that population. So, we want to make sure that all students re- re- reach their full potential.
2: Right. So, even in um, Silicon Valley, where we would think um, our pretty um, high-income students, um, um, average um, around the area, there's still pockets of um, neighborhoods where they may not get as much resources. And like you said, there's a lot of diversity. And I think that U.S. Um, does have a unique um, inequality problem in terms of education funding uh, because nearly half of our funding for public education in the U.S. is provided through local property taxes. And so it generates huge funding disparities um, between wealthy and impoverished communities. Um, I read it somewhere that the average funding um, annually per student could vary from just a few thousand dollars to over $15,000 in a very um, affluent um, community. But that's really not the case in other developed countries where public schools get Equal funding in most cases um, in rich as well as uh, poor communities based on the number of students enrolled. And in fact, in some countries, um, would actually do the opposite and make sure that students from disadvantaged communities receive more funding because they need more help. And it's really great to see that your foundation um, addressing this particular issue with your program Elevate Math and Elevate Science. Um, Can you tell us more about these two programs?
3: Sure. So let me, let me let me back up and, and answer a couple of things. On, on, a, on your first question, you know, why Silicon Valley? And what what most people don't understand is there are two Silicon Valleys. There's a Silicon Valley that that, that you hear about, um, which is typically up Highway 280 in Silicon Valley. That's where you find all the riches in the world. And then there's a Silicon Valley up 101, where people are looking for the crumbs off people's table. It just as looks like rest of the world. And and we are taking the Silicon Valley innovation, the Silicon Valley way of thinking about problems, and and we're funneling them toward solving the problems and challenges in education. And as we do that, um, funding matters, but also innovation matters. So your question about how we fund in California, the funding model um, is... um, a little strange, to say the least, and, and we don't invest in education um, as much as we do in states like um, New Jersey and Connecticut, where the, the richest district in California gets less money than the poorest district in New Jersey and Connecticut, for instance. So, the funding challenges are there, and we can talk more about, about that. Um, one of the ways, one of the innovative ways we're solving for this problem is really around, around this program called Elevate Math. The big problem we see in the community um, um, is, uh, is that, well, kindergarten to twelfth grade education math is the language of, of math is the language of kindergarten to twelfth grade education. And as we think about that, and as we see that, um, here are the challenges. So, research shows that students who graduate from college in five years and what they do in high school. The, um, the highest correlation between th- those two things that trumps race, that trumps socioeconomics, that trumps everything else is if that child took Algebra two or not in high school. Wow. So we know that co- college graduation in five years, the best predictor of that is Algebra two. Hmm. And then you back up and you think about, and that's called the Edelman study. Then you back up into, into middle school, and you, you learn that we as a society have spent a lot of energy in, for, in convincing kids to go to college in high school and in elementary school, where students really make decisions about going to college in middle school. So, uh, we spend all our energy in elementary school and high school, and students are making decisions about going to college in middle school. Um, so, that was a study called the forgotten middle. And the third part of this math story is that typically it was commonly known that kindergarten math scores predicted third-grade math scores and kindergarten reading scores predicted third-grade reading scores. There's a new piece of research out that kindergarten math scores better predict third-grade reading and and math scores than kindergarten reading scores predict third-grade reading scores. So that's why I say math is the language of K-12 education. And so, we developed this Elevate Math program that leads up uh, for rising 8th graders between 7th and 8th grade to help them change their trajectory in math um, um, to be ready to take and pass algebra in the 8th grade whereas otherwise it would not have been. And we do this in a very innovative way. First, we provide 75 hours of innovative instruction to the students um, and that's done through technology, leveraging technology, individualizing instruction and doing various things so we can really help kids get, come over the greatest hurdle in their education career, which is typically math. The second thing we do in this program is really focus on great middle school teachers. There are great teachers out there, but typically math is a very difficult subject to understand, for, even for teachers, so we provide them for, um, training in math, and then we have them practice and observe them and help them get metter, better at teaching math. What that does is they may be teaching only 30 kids in the summer, but when they go back during the school year, they're teaching 150 students. So so those are the ways that we help kids prepare, um, not only uh, in the summer, but we help teachers be prepared to teach more kids to prepare in the most difficult subject of math. And then we we, we really help these kids change their mindset about math. And you know, Nancy, the funny thing is instead of sitting on the beach or playing video games, these are students who are choosing to spend their summer learning math, get good at a skill that that typically students are not good at, so they can be college and career ready. So,
2: are these students self-identified?
3: So, the way we identify these students is very unique. We, We actually go through past data on these students, and we look at, uh, we look at, look at their test results to see where they land and, and for which student a 75 hour inter- intervention would really change their trajectory. I and mean, these are kids on the bubble in the middle who can go either way and we change their trajectory.
2: Oh, very interesting. Uh, but how do you make math and science exciting? I mean, studies show that your programs are twice as effective as other similar intervention programs. So, what is unique about your approach?
3: So, so what we've done about this this approach, I know, um, is really focused on on being student centered, going deeper, and making it relevant. And we had a great study come out um, done by WestEd, that's the national clinical level scientific research that that proves that students get two, uh, it, the program is better than two times better than other pro uh, other programs, and uh, it is two point students approve two point four times and get over a year ahead. And then math the way we do that is we make it relevant, we make it focused, and we, we help them overcome the most difficult concepts that students struggle in, in a very, very um, dramatic way and we have great teachers.
2: Um, and, and you mentioned that your program is four weeks long, right, and, and for four or five hours a day. It's very, very intensive um, and, and since your program is working really well. Is this suggesting that we should have longer hours or school year in the U.S.?
3: Uh, It is. And the way to think about that is there are 241 days of, of school in Japan, 211 days of school in Europe, and in California, we go to school for 180 days. And if we know anything, time on task matters, so students do need more time to tackle the most difficult subjects like math and the students who are choosing to invest their time in that we're seeing them grow um and really master that skill
2: very well said and wow it's amazing how big a difference that is in terms of number of hours that we have for our students well there's so much more to talk about but first let's take a break you're listening to business reinvention with nancy lynn for up-to-date business and innovation trends go to bizreinvention.com or follow me on twitter at bizreinvention. we'll be back in two minutes
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF.
4: Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, back to business reinvention.
2: If if I'm not mistaken, I think one of the things that you advocate and and many other people advocate is smaller class size. Um, Does it really matter? Because I think most of the Asian countries that top the international list for academic performance in math and science have bigger class sizes than we do. So why is size a factor in the U.S.? So
3: individualizing instruction and having more students get instruction that's more tailored to them is really important. Let me give you an example. If there are 30 students in a classroom and we line them up up from 1 to 30, from strongest to weakest, um, currently the teacher teaches to number 16. So, number 1 is bored and number 30 is lost. Um, so it's, it's less about size. Now, at certain levels, if you go over 30, it gets too big, um, but it, it has to be dramatic changes. Now, 29 versus 30 or 25 versus 30 is not going to make a huge difference in terms of instruction, but what we really need to get to is individualized instruction, and the way we're going to do that is, is to really leverage technology to get to individual instruction. So we're not lecturing at number 16 where number one is bored and number 30 in the classroom is lost. And we can really help tailor the content for every student based on where they're at, and make sure we get to their proximal optimal uh, learning zone, so we can we can really help them grow. Mm.
2: Well, one of the reports um, that came out in UK reviewing the competition or um, the comparison of academic performance in math and science um, pointed out that Asian teachers um, tend to expect every student to. And there have also been other reports that argue that higher expectations can lead to higher performance. Um, What's your thought on that? And is this something that we can incorporate into our school at all?
3: Absolutely, and I, and I absolutely agree with that. I think we should have high expectations for all our students and, and, and provide them the tools they need to be successful. And at Silicon Valley Education Foundation, we really do want to make sure our teachers are trained to be able to assess students, individualize instruction, but have high expectations. The Common Core Standards are much higher expectations, but we're going to provide the tools and resources needed so all our students realize their full potential.
2: So now let's talk about the teachers. Um, you, you touched on a little bit earlier. Um, who, who are these teachers? Are they, um, I mean, do, you have, do they have to go through a certain um, um, criteria or selection process or are they volunteers? Um, what are their backgrounds?
3: So, so in our Elevate Math program, we do Leverage credential teachers in the school district. And the logic there is simple. That if we can, if we can work with school districts to take their teachers and provide them some extra, extra funding in the summer. So we do pay them, uh, as they deserve to be paid because they're working hard and they're spending over 100 hours in the summer with us. Uh, we provide them funding. But what we're doing is we're training them. So, what we do for the school district is not only help their students improve their skills, but we're helping their teachers improve their skills, and the return on that is tremendous, because it's not just for that for those students that they're teaching the summer, but they teach 150 kids a year and for multiple years. So, we want to take the best teachers, we want to make them stronger um, so that our students are getting the best chance of success.
2: Yeah, I really love that idea. It really creates a win-win situation, sounds like. Um, so I'm really curious um, in terms of the teacher training. What are the key skills or concepts that, that you really wish more teachers know about when it comes to teaching math and science? What's the secret sauce?
3: You know, a lot of our teachers in middle school are not subject matter credentialed in math. So A, truly understanding math itself and secondly truly understanding how to do classroom management and individualized instruction and leverage technology if we can get those three things right if we can at least help our teachers really manage those three things they truly understand math we know why we flip the numerator and the denominator when we multiply fractions they know how to manage a classroom so it's not it's not chaos so So, no one is learning and they know how to leverage technology and use that data to individualize instruction. I think we can have great teachers um, getting phenomenal results.
2: Mm. Well, poor and poor neighborhoods um, sometimes don't have sufficient funding to attract um, experienced or talented teachers, but it sounds like if we could provide additional training to teachers in these communities like your foundation is doing, it might really help improve um, teacher qualities overall. So, is there any chance that school districts in these communities can make this type of training part of their regular programs?
3: Absolutely. So, we work closely with school districts to help help more and more teachers participate uh, in our program, and as they participate, we're helping them figure out um, uh, how do we get more and more of their teachers participating as well. Now, we're competing in several factors. Um, this is usually the summertime where teachers are on break, so getting them for the summer and making sure we have them for the summer is sometimes a challenge, but making sure that, that teachers are incentivized to come. And, and most great teachers want to improve their skills, just like most, most great in individuals in any, any field want to improve their skills. So really having them engage has been very successful for us.
2: Mm-hmm. So the programs that we've been talking about um, are for students who are struggling with math and science, but you also have programs for high achievers. Um, so I would assume they're doing well already in schools. So what are you providing that they are not already getting in their schools?
3: So we, we, have, a, we have a unique instructional model. We have a unique way of focusing on, on skill sets that students struggle with most like fractions, truly understanding rational numbers proportionality and, and getting down narrowly and deeply in that. And we're providing them more time uh, for the students to really understand math because it takes time to understand the subject. It's, it's not a natural skill, if you will.
2: Yeah. And how do you measure the impact of this program? I think this is kind of a long-term program, if I understand correctly. It goes on for Absolutely. several years. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, we, we, we work with students for several years, and we measure, so we use the scientific, like medical research level study called, um, with WestEd, which is the national uh, organization funded by the Department of Education, to go deep and say, does this really work? And we use a mass diagnostic testing program that's nationally referenced, and it, it's very rigorously tested to make sure we can most accurately know what student achievement looks like and what... What does mastery in algebra look like? So, so, we use the most rigorous test. We don't make up our own test to make sure that the students are doing well. We use a very rigorous nationally normed test to make sure our students are really achieving great results. Now, as we do that, we also learn that there are a lot of challenges. I mean, you can't... You know, while our students are doubling in their math proficiency uh, and their math knowledge, um, when you're so far behind, there's still a long ways to go. So we leverage the test not just at a point in time to say you're good and you're bad. We leverage the test to, to help kids improve their skills as well.
2: And a lot of the students, um, from what I understand, are from disadvantaged communities. And it sounds like your programs also provide um, additional devices that they may not have at school, like 3D printing um, devices and and things like that. Is that correct?
0: Um,
3: Absolutely. We have another great program called the 49er STEM Leadership Institute that really focuses on how do we help students really become um, fall in love with science, technology, engineering, and math or STEM. And we believe that it's it's a mix of rigor and relevance. So, understanding math and learning your timetable is a rigor exercise. And the relevance is really, when am I ever going to use this in real life? Right. That's where we work with, work with students around the area of 3D printing and, and various other hands-on competitions to make sure that they're, they're, being, they're able to apply what they're learning. And as they apply it, they learn it more deeply and they can manipulate it and understand it and they can grow their skill set um, in a great way.
2: That's great. Uh, and so we, we have talked about the funding inequality because of dependency on local wealth. Um, and, and, and on the other hand, there are startups that are really passionate about creating technology solutions to improve education. But what I see sometimes is that Many of them do not address the issue that technology is not readily available in some of the low-income neighborhoods, um, and so th- which really are the ones that need a lot of help. Uh, so, does your program, IHUB, help address this particular challenge?
3: Yes. Yeah, so, our, that's a great question. Our Learning Innovation Hub program really addresses that a challenge of leveraging technology to improve student achievement in three ways. First we figure out how we fund technology in school districts. We we'll give you a challenge in California um, to get additional funding to go to taxpayers. It takes a two-thirds vote, typically. But for bond measures or capital uh, equipment, it takes a 55% threshold. So mm-hmm. for, that, for that, what we've done is a unique and innovative way of bringing in technology um, and making it a capital project so it, it can be approved under the 55% threshold. And then what we do with that is really make sure that we can get it approved for multiple years, but not spend it all up front so we have the refresh cycle. Um, There's a school district called Eastside Union High School District that is doing great work, and we got a large model of $118 million approved for them to fund their technology infrastructure, because there are schools in Silicon Valley, in California, and around the country where 30 computers watching a video crashes their wireless infrastructure but we, we are just not ready for that. The second part of that is really we, we do, um, we've done an uh, assessment of what the infrastructure looks like in school districts with many Silicon Valley leaders uh, and PwC, and we put out a white paper on our website at fbef.com where we can tell districts, you know, you don't have to repeat this. We've, we've learned this and we want to share this with you. There are 10,000 school districts in the USA. How do we get those districts? the right back-end infrastructure so they can leverage technology. A third thing we do is the Learning Innovation Hub uh, is we, we bring testbed where we take all these great education technology companies who want us to leverage technology to improve student instruction, and we run like a shark tank pitch game, and we bring them inside the classroom to see what works. We scale what works, and we help improve what doesn't, so we're truly bringing technology in the classroom that we're able to connect to the Internet and have the infrastructure to use, but most importantly, we're able to individualize instruction so all students can really um, achieve their full potential.
2: That's really, really great. Um, I wanted to learn a little bit more about that, uh, but first, let's um, take another break. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. You can download our podcast from Voice America, iTunes, or Stitcher, or go to our website, businessreinvention.com, for more information. We'll be right back.
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF.
4: Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes, How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, Back to business reinvention.
2: Before the break, you were talking about that IHOP idea, and I thought that was fantastic how you borrowed the idea for Shark Tank and match up startup with um, um, low-income neighborhood school district and to help each other improve education. Um, are there some real-life examples that you could uh, share with us how they benefit from this relationship?
3: So... We serve in the middle of three problems. One, on the education technology companies, There's hundreds of education technology companies out there they are doing great work. They need reference customers to see their products and test them with schools. Then we have the school districts who don't know how to pick between company A and company B. And then there's lots of not-for-profits that are trying to build products that we think shouldn't be in that business because um, these for-profit or not, um, or whatnot at ed- tech companies, they're just doing it a lot more rapidly and they're bringing lots of great skills in building these products. So what we do is we, we bridge the gap between the education technology companies that want to be in schools and help schools differentiate and decide which product they need to make sure that for their district, they achieve um, great results for their students. On the education technology company side, we spend a lot of time with these companies leveraging secondary research, if you will, to make sure that they know when they come to a fork in the road and they're developing a, a tech product, they, they choose what, what is research um, effective. So, for instance, um, uh, working on a computer um, technology, typically tools say, yeah, you know, we'll put you on it for an hour. Well, now research has shown that the, the, the optimal amount of time where a student is interacting with technology and learning is 25 minutes and they need to change the mode. So, we help. Um, these technology companies build modules for 25 minutes instead of an hour. So we, we can adjust to that. So that's where we help with the, with the tech, tech companies before they even enter the classroom to, to make sure their products are, are on a sound research footing. And then when we bring them into the schools, once we choose them through our, through our pitch game, um, we put them in schools, and we really have lots of observation and lots of teachers providing feedback on the product, what works, what doesn't work, and how do we improve that. The idea is not to, to have an evaluation of if, whether the product is good or bad, although we do have a lot of data, but the idea is really to leverage, uh, leverage that experience so these tech companies can improve their products, make them better, so more students can achieve their um, potential and, and increase the student achievement of all students that are leveraging that, that product. And that's where we win. If, if we're helping technology companies improve their products that are more research based, that provide lots of great re- results for student achievement, so wherever they go, our students um, around the country or around the world will do that much better. That's how we are really digging deep and spending lots of energy in terms of adoption of these ed tech product but not adoption in a sales way, but adoption and really going to deep to see what works and what will school districts, you know, make sure that they can't live without.
2: I love the fact that um, all your initiatives are so creative in the sense that it address, they, they all address multiple problems at the same time and creating win-win-win situations for, for everybody. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious now that you had seen many interactions between the startups with the school districts, um, what are some of the common mistakes that EdTech startups um, make? Um, what advice would you give them?
3: Um, there, there's several. One is if an ed tech company comes in and they want to be in the pitch games to put out a press release that they won, that's, you know, they'll get a little bit of mileage out of that because we're a credible organization, but they won't get the deep mileage uh, out of really investing and in improving their product. If they're not interested in improving their product and really dramatically getting better results, this would not be the place for them. Secondly, is to really go and meet with the people we, we open doors for them to say, how do I work on my product? How do I think about scale? How do I think about innovation and in education? So we spend lots of energy coaching them. And the, the, the companies that are more interested in sales than actually learning to improve their product, we are not a good fit for them. And mm-hmm. thirdly, we spend, we spend a lot of energy uh, with these startups and making sure that what we're evaluating and we're measuring the right things, but so them understanding education um, versus just how to build a great widget. Um, because most technology companies, they're not with bank technology. They're really adapting existing technology to the education context. So having the technology know-how to be able to go into the education context and learn and understand from experts, from teachers, and really bring that to their product, and be open to change. If they're not open to that, then it just really does not work.
2: Mm, Really great advice. Um, Your foundation also offers teachers innovation grants. Uh, Any great ideas that have come out of the program?
3: You know, um, when, when I think of innovation, the innovative ideas, and an innovator is basically someone who does, a, an idea at below the cost it takes to do it for, um, in a regular way, right? They, they optimize and they, they're rugged and they're, they get in there and they get things done. And what we've seen from our teachers are just some amazing ways where 500 to to $1,000 they're transforming their classroom. I'll give you, I'll give you an example where uh, typically a, a microscope costs over $1,000 each. And a teacher wanted 30 for their classroom, so that would cost $30,000. They didn't have the budget, so so this teacher applied for an innovation grant to go out and to purchase one microscope that she can connect to an LCD projector um, that can project what they see on the slide onto the onto the big screen uh, in their classroom. Now, for under $1,000, this teacher was able to achieve the effect of 30 small microscopes. Now, you can say the 30 serve a purpose, and I agree, but she was able to have their students be exposed to scientific learning through biology and chemistry um, in a very um, rugged and scrappy way of getting it in there. So, I, I think um, that's just one example of a teacher just doing great things.
2: That's great. Um, that's awesome. That's like great uh, problem solving um, right there. Um, you actually have been with the foundation for over 14 years now. Does the job get easier?
3: It's a job that I love. Um, it's a job that, you know, I, I've worked in, in, in the business community before this. I was an executive in, in marketing and, and sales and various other areas. But, what I find is there is so much innovation to be had in education and there's so much impact to be made that I'm just obsessed with preparing students for college and careers and there's nothing else that I'd rather be doing. I mean, we are really transforming lives. We're changing student trajectory, um, uh, kids who weren't going to go to college, not going to college, and just changing their whole outcomes in life and their opportunity in life because of interventions we're providing for them. So, it is just really exciting and it's something that, that I'm so proud of our Silicon Valley innovators who are, who are pioneers in their industry, but they have a purpose of education in joining us. From Silicon Valley and around the world, um, there's innovators joining us to make sure that we achieve this purpose.
2: So, any plan to expand to uh, other parts of the area? Yes.
3: Yeah, so. So we think that Silicon Valley is a mindset. We think to think like Silicon Valley is a mindset that can be transformed. We're building great ideas. We're building great products that we want to share with the Bay Area, with California, with the country, and perhaps the world. If we're making something that's truly achieving great student achievement, which we are with our Elevate Math program, with our Learning Innovation Hub, with our grant, we want to share those with the world, and we're ready to do that. So I would invite folks from anywhere in the world who want to leverage these tools and, and we'll be their partner to make sure that, they, that, that if they're focused and they're passionate about in, in increasing student outcomes, making sure that students are college and career ready, we, we will help them.
2: How should they get in touch with you or the Foundation?
3: So, they get in touch with us by going to our website at com. On, uh, on Twitter, um, I am EducationIQ is my Twitter handle, um, or give us a call. I mean, we, we're, we're very accessible on, on the Internet, and come visit us at SBEF.com and learn what we're doing, and we want to we partner.
2: Great information. Well, you're listening to Business we Mentioned with Nancy Lynn. We'll continue our conversation about education after these messages.
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF.
2: Get a unique and playful insider's take on the biggest stories in tech, media, and entertainment. Join H. Schwartz, well-known technology catalyst, comedian, and geek girl, as she and leading experts in the media and content business dive into the biggest stories in technology trends, consumer behaviors, and its impact on Hollywood. If you're looking to respond to the tech-fueled changes in the marketplace, then tune in to the Tech Cat Show, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business and syndicated to Voice America Women's Channel.
4: Always talking business, talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. Now, back to Business Reinvention.
2: We're having Dreamforce um, Convention right now. Um, and one of the ideas that um, is coming out of the convention is that um, some people uh, believe that we should have computer science as part of our regular curriculum for everybody. Um, what do you think about that, and how can we make that a reality?
3: So computer science um, is something that is getting a lot of attention lately, that, that students, you know, we are going to have a short a million jobs in, in the field of computer science that go unfilled. When, when unemployment is high, uh, someone, a STEM major or a computer scientist, there's two, still two jobs for everyone that's available. So it's definitely a coveted field. What we need to do is um, a couple of things to make sure that our systems are working together. A, we need to make sure that our higher education institutions are clear on their expectations of an incoming freshman in college who wants to major in computer science. And then our K-12 needs to align to those expectations and work their way backward. We need to think about not just computer science, but it's really about computational thinking. And we can leverage computational thinking in many subjects, not just to have an, um, an hour of code or doing coding, but doing much more than that. And computational thinking can be applied in our history classes, our English classes, in various areas for students to learn that skill so if they become a computer scientist or they become a doctor or they become an accountant, they can really think about how computational thinking can help them as a language um, in their career. And as we do that, there are some great ways uh, for students to know how they're doing. One is um, the College Board administers the, the advanced placement exams or the AP exams. There's, there's an AP computer science class that every student should really focus on taking, so we can really leverage those and make sure that students, students are, are encouraged to take those in high school and work their way backwards. I mean, whether you have children who aren't school age yet or in elementary school, there's programs like Scratch uh, out of MIT that can really help students understand... How? What? What is programming or Code.org? Or there's hundreds of programs. You know, in our education technology work, uh, we have Code Monkey that really helps kids understand context and how to improve that. So I think computer science is not going away, um, and our students in high school need to really take the College Board's AP Computer Science course, as well as um, colleges need to really recognize what they need to do and work together with. The kindergarten and twelfth grade education, so we can articulate that all the way down from learning, learning the code to, comp- and to, more importantly, developing the skill of computational thinking. Mm,
2: this all sound great, and, and it's ideal to have um, some sort of computer science um, in school, but if we, um, should I say, if our students uh, are already falling behind in math and science Uh, Is it doable to add computer science to the curriculum, or do you think having computer science related courses actually make math and science more relatable?
3: You know, so it does make computational thinking and computer science does make it more relatable and it's it's the language of business that that more and more students will need to learn. Um, And and it's just a foreign language at this point that instead of taking French, you should be taking computer science. But I think what's more important is the way the inequity in our system is appalling, where we only offer some of these computer science courses in the affluent neighborhoods, where in the entire state of California, the amount, only 600 Hispanics took the AP computer science course out of there's 6.2 million students in California and only 600 kids took that and even left African-American students, there's an inequity where we need to offer it. We need to make sure that we're, um, we're allowing students to imagine how this works. And when we offer those courses, when we encourage students and incentivize students to take those courses, I have no doubt in my mind that many more students would not only take it, but be qualified to take it because they see a pathway towards becoming a computer scientist. They see a pathway of the relevance of what they're learning in math and applying it into a computational thinking setting and perhaps they will come grow up to the next Mark Zuckerberg or as you mentioned Salesforce conference, the next uh, Mark Benioff.
2: Well, the number is so appalling and shocking, um, and I can't agree with you more, that we need to try everything to make this happen. Um, so, as we can see, there are so many things we need to do to help fix our education, and we don't have all the resources that we need. So, if this one change, if done, could dramatically improve our education in the U.S., what would that be?
3: So, I, th- I think if there's one thing we can do to dramatically improve education system in the U.S. Uh, invest in teacher training around the culture of leveraging technology to improve student achievement. If we can figure out how we leverage technology, I'll give you a business context. When the microchip was, uh, was invented and it was applied in a word processing context, the adoption was very low. It wasn't until the spreadsheet came out um, and they saw the computational power of a microchip that can produce is when the adoption went through the roof. So, in the business context, um, the microprocessor, excuse me, was not very attractive to be a better typewriter. It was very attractive to leverage spreadsheets and numbers, and it could compute things a lot faster than you could do on your own. I would love to apply that analogy to our education context and how do we change that. Over the past 100 100 years, we haven't changed much in education. If you look at the education system, you know, it's... 30 kids in a class, six to a, um, uh, six to a row, five rows. And, and we've done many things to try to change that, and we haven't been successful. I'll give you an example. First, we thought the radio was going to transform education. We would pipe in the best lectures to students through radio, through sound, and we'd keep them in those seats, and somehow they would get the, get the best lecturer in the world teaching the concept, and students would achieve. Guess what? It didn't work. We still have 30 kids. Six rows, five to a row, and then the TV came along. The TV in the classroom. We were gonna, we were gonna show them the lecture and and pipe in the sound and, and demonstrate to them the great teaching um, that can happen through a TV for students sitting in their seats. Guess what? It didn't work. We tried it, and it didn't improve student achievement. So how are we really going to leverage this new technology that's out there? Whether it's your iPad or Chromebook or whatever else, how are we going to let uh, leverage that so we dramatically uh, improve student achievement. It's going to take a culture change in our classrooms, in our schools. It's going to take, it's going to take a real understanding of how do we individualize instruction. If we can do all those things, um, I think we will see dramatic results and achieve, uh, and live up to where we started this conversation around the Common Core Standards and really, really live, live up to those higher standards and achieve them and be once again, the envy of the world.
2: Yeah, excellent point. I think technology alone is not going to help us um, unless we have um, teachers who understand how to interact and take advantage of it. Um, So we have only time for one more question. And so some of our listeners may have kids and they may be parents. And so I wonder if you have any advice for parents in our audience.
3: I have lots of advice. Um, the most important person in a child 's education is their parent. Uh, um, at the end of the day, a student only spends about six hours in a school top, but the rest of that day, the rest of those eighteen hours are somewhere else. So how do we make how do we make sure that those young minds that are sponges that can absorb education are uh, everywhere? Um, how do we make sure that those hours are leveraged to do that. Now, uh, there's a couple of things parents can do. One is don't outsource that responsibility where you take them to a bunch of classes every hour, every night they go into a different training on on something. Spend time with your kids and really work with them yourself to help them understand. You will develop an amazing bond with your child and you will be able to teach them various things yourself. Secondly, leverage technology wisely. If you have devices at home, um, you know, I, I'm not of the opinion it should be no device or you can be on a device as long as you want. I feel the right tools leveraged properly to leverage the data on those tools could do amazing things for student achievement. So parents in the summer, rather than rather than going through the summer learning walk, Parents should, should make sure that their students are learning something. They have a, a reading list. They have, they're leveraging things like Khan Academy, which is free, to make sure students are achieving great things uh, in their math skills, in their history skills. So when they go back to school, they're ready. And, and that investment by parents and caring and understanding what the scores mean in school so they're truly engaged versus just beating up the schools, we think that that partnership will help their students achieve great results and, and, and be hugely con- contributing to our society.
2: Well, I want to thank you for your advice and for your time here, but also for the great work and inspiration that you have provided us. Thank you so much, Mohammed. Thank you for having me. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you here. And I also want to thank the audience for joining me today. You can tweet me your comments at Biz Reinvention or download our podcast to listen to our program on the go. Please make sure to check out our program next week at 8 a.m. Pacific time again. So enjoy your week, and I hope to talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.
1: We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time and 11 a.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. In the meantime, follow Nancy on Twitter at BizReinvention to keep up on the innovation trends and information about our next show. Or go to bizreinvention.com for more business insights. That's bizreinvention.com.